Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Um, my name is Judah Rubin. Good to see you. By the way, if you want one of these, there's not much left in it, but except all the content, but the calendar's almost done. Go and get one. Uh, they won't last much longer um, unless you give them a good home. So, um, all right. So, Steve Zoltansky. <clears throat> I woke up thinking about that slippery area, the realm of post-equivalence that Steve Zoltansky treads. In other words, you are looking for an apartment, say, and you look on some website, and it gives you a set of pictures, a spiral staircase up to a roof garden, beautiful new fixtures, a well-painted foyer, perhaps. When you arrive to look at the apartment, it's nothing like the photo, and yet, because it is at the same address, say, it is or has to be the same apartment, thus measuring a sort of parabolic equivalence, and of course, you could never live there. And so there's also this post-equivalence in any chain of signifiers, as you know, anyone can tell. And this loss of the self-identical uh, plays in, you know, uh, comes out of the five degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, or is exhibited there, I think. Um, so I think the tyranny of the parabolic self that splits off into the sort of constant schizoid reproduction of origin that, because we're speaking about Kevin Bacon, never seems to have much of a reason to exist. Well, actually, right now, I can only remember him in What's the Story, Morning Glory, I think that's its name, with Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford in Air Force One with William H. Macy, who was in Wild Hogs with Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence in Black Knight with Tom Wilkinson, and who was in Shakespeare in Love with Judy Dench, who was in J. Edgar with Naomi Watts, who was in Mulholland Drive with Laura Herring, Laura Herring was in John Q with Denzel Washington, who was in Training Day with Ethan Hawke, who was in Boyhood with Patricia Arquette, who was in Ed Wood with Johnny Depp, who was in Platoon with Willem Dafoe, who was in Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise, who was in The Firm with Gene Hackman, who was in Enemy of the State with Will Smith, who was in iRobot with Bridget Moynihan, who was in Lord of War with Jared Leto, who was in Requiem for a Dream with Louise Lasser, who was in Bananas with Woody Allen, who was in Ants with Jennifer Lopez, who was in Monster-in-Law with Jane Fonda, who was in Clute with Roy Scheider, who was in Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman, who was in um, uh, Hook, with Robin Williams, who was in, uh, I guess here I have to break the rules for a tip of the hat to this thankfully opaque methodology. So yes, he was in Hook with Julia Roberts, who was in Larry Crown with Tom Hanks, who was in Apollo 13 with Kevin Bacon. Please welcome Steve Zoltansky to the Poetry Project. Hello. As I said at the beginning, I'm already awful. Just look at me, just look at what I'm doing. Basically, I'm the worst creature that ever existed, a freak of nature that never should have been born. Of course, nothing's worse than an American man for all the reasons that everyone already knows, the stupidity, the nationalism, the militarism, the ideological attachment to ideas of independence and comfort, the donut-headed ignorance of our unimaginably violent and coercive geopolitical power. But I'm the worst kind of American, the kind who criticizes all these things and benefits from them for the most part fairly unapologetically or even worse, apologetically, as in abstractly wishing things were different while diligently working the kind of job that keeps them exactly the same or even worse, not apologetically at all is when I occasionally involve my in a protest movement or activist group and wallow in a brief oceanic feeling of collective universality made manifest in the will of the people while simultaneously wallowing in the knowledge that this feeling is brief because I don't expect the elation of revolt to last, much less the revolt itself, and I bask in the aura of dignity offered by its transience, a shitty narcissistic posture badly disguised as communal effervescence. Seriously, 
I'm the worst, and that's not good enough for me. I want to be worse. I want this shit country to exist again tomorrow. It's not good enough for me that we're responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. It's not good enough for me that we shoot scores of people with unmanned drones in Somalia, Pakistan, Yemen, Afghanistan, and claim we do it for our own protection. It's not good enough for me that we're being poisoned by food that, like our bodies, is literally shit. It's not good enough for me that economic sanctions in Iraq, Iran, Cuba have resulted in the mass starvation of the poor. It's not good enough for me that our coercive economic policies force other nations into debt and it's not good enough for me to foster racial hatred and to naturalize sexual inequality. It's not good enough for me to waste trillions of hours of billions of lives in tedious and meaningless and repetitive labor. It's not good enough for me to burn down the entire planet with immeasurable tons of bad air. It's not good enough for me to export our boring corporate entertainment and demand the rest of the world call it art. It's not good enough for me to cover up a history of genocide and slavery with a triumphalist narrative of progress and freedom. It's not good enough for me to promote growth via American investment in sweatshop labor in Mexico, Haiti, China, Vietnam, Somalia, the Philippines and every other single spot of hot land on the map. It's not good enough for me to torture anyone who might resemble an enemy and claim that I did it for my own protection. It's not good enough for me to hide thousands of more or less dead souls in secret prisons. It's not good enough for me to praise the capitalist bitches who hold the horrible world steady as if they were agents of change. It's not good enough for me to hold up an apartheid state as a model of modern democratic tolerance. It's not good enough for me to blow shit up from far away and call it peace. No. I want more. I want to descend further into hell. More hell. I want everything to be worse. And like a good American, I want it all to start with me and not with, say, President Obama, where for a while we can pretend it all starts and for good reason because a list of his crimes exceeds all comprehension. It's so long and multifarious. Coordinating with the FBI to plan the assassination of MLK, hiring young thugs to run over Pasolini, personally driving bulldovers through Palestinian homes, dropping Agent Orange on Vietnam, occupying Tibet, sanctioning the Crusades, dining on endangered fish, usually Chilean sea bass, nuking Hiroshima and Nagasaki in any future nuked cities, beating Greek, Greek, Greek protesters, opening sweatshops in Ethiopia and supervising the toil, handing out pox blankets and slaughtering Native Americans and occasionally even scalping fellow settlers, buying and selling thousands of slaves, botching executions and standing idly by while a condemned man writhes in agony, paying off cartels, manufacturing seeds that grow sterile after a signal generation, and so on. <clears throat> the US president is literally guilty of pretty much everything. He traverses time and space with bloody glee, sparing no one and nothing his indiscriminate wrath, his undifferentiated existential fury aimed equally at everything extant and not, his unbridled will to do all the bad he can during his short time in power to make the most of these eight years such that they subsume all of awful history. The president literalizes human nature as an overabundance of shitty evil, and it's in this way that he's a saint. He doesn't exist in a limited bodily form. He's a time-traveling monstration of spirit externally perfecting himself in the imperfect guise of another. For instance, there was that time that Obama followed that young man into the subway and kidnapped him, the same young man that I followed into the subway and kidnapped, and brought him back to his apartment and chopped him up into little pieces with a bunch of different saws, each designed for a different kind of cutting and thus proper to different parts of the body, handsaw for soft flesh, jigsaw for cartilage, bone saw for bone, etc. He began by cutting strips of flesh away from the bone with the handsaw and laying these strips side by side on an enormous thick white towel. Then he took the bone saw and sawed through any joints he felt like sawing through, knees and elbows and hips and shoulders and some little joints in the fingers and toes. You can tell he liked it because the decision about which joints to saw seemed, from an outside perspective, arbitrary. There was no method to the operation, just the pleasure of discovery. Eventually he cut the head off. Blood came out of the neck, which is what happened when I did the same thing. Then he delicately stacked the cut up chunks of flesh on strips of skin and balanced the torso on top as if the victim were curled up sleeping on a pile of himself. 
Taking one corner at a time, he folded the towel and tied the body parts up in a bundle. The bundle fit inside a black garbage bag, which then fit inside a bigger blue garbage bag. This is the big difference between how he and I committed the same crime. He neatly bound up everything in one bag, while I tossed all the pieces haphazardly into a number of different bags, though I used the same blue-black combo. And we've already seen how he makes the head talk and buries it in the park. All that's the same, it's just what I would do. It begged him for mercy too. But as I said, that's not enough. It's not enough to know that our overlord shares my guilt or even to know that he's guilty of all crimes ever committed, unlike me, because I'm not guilty of everything. I'm just a little finite shithead, not a great big omnipotent shithead. Because his guilt can't get any worse, nor can it appear as the worst, a condition which at least has the dignity of transience. After all, one can't be the worst forever. The president's guilt is different. It never changes, nor is it muffled by the screams of new victims. His crimes are always everywhere at once in exactly the same way forever. They are not distinctive enough to be various. His crimes are all part of one enormous crime and one enormous crime, no matter how enormous, is never enough. My crimes, on the other hand, are many, infinite, like the night. Even if each of my awful acts is awful in itself and not by virtue of a great awfulness which accounts for and murmurs the individual parts. And so even if I'm already perfectly the worst creature that has ever existed, which I am, the time between my separate acts of unhappy conscience ensures their sequence as a narrative. One comes after another. They are necessarily chronological and each one will appear to comment on and or escalate the previous entries in the series so that I seem to change over time and my actions are not merely the expression of an essential character but rather the effects of a mutation. For example, even if my last crime wasn't good enough to make me as bad as I'd like to be, the next crime I commit, no matter how petty, will cause its predecessors to worsen simply because it will be a continuation of something that was already bad. It was dark. I knew that her basement windows were unlocked because I had checked all the houses on this street and hers were open every night. Either she was careless or she was waiting for someone to sneak in, like me. I crept up the stairs to the first floor, careful not to let the chain rattle or drag along the stairs. When you're walking slowly on a level surface, you can shuffle forward quickly and quietly. But when you're walking up a staircase, especially an old, long, wooden one with high steps, you have to raise your foot fairly high and then bring it clacking down again on the next step many times over, so that if you want or need to make this trek silently, you have to lift your feet, lift your feet painfully slowly and drift them down equally slowly. This isn't difficult, but it's harder to do while carrying a chain. Your body vibrates and shakes. You stand on one foot, slowly lowering the other, tempted to stamp down quickly as if squashing a bug to regain balance. But because the whole point of creeping slowly up the stairs is not to stamp down quickly, you have to hold this position for a few seconds longer, say three or four seconds than you otherwise might. And those few seconds are subjectively lengthened by a mild but quickly intensifying tremor, which you would think you would feel most acutely in the burdened leg, but you don't. You feel it in your arms, which are cradling a heavy chain. And you can't allow them, your arms, to tremble too violently for fear of waking the homeowner with the clinking of the chain, so you squeeze them, your arms, tightly around the chain. So I squeezed my arms around the chain, but I squeezed so hard my muscles were twitching and I could feel myself losing control of my reflexes, and the only way to subdue the involuntary minor convulsions that were about to cause me to drop the chain was to relax a little for a half second or so, and this half second of relief gave me the necessary extra strength to hold myself steady for another few seconds while I pulled my other foot up to the next stair, and while I did that, I found that it was already there. My foot was already on the stair, and I was already balanced again. My step had already landed silently without my piloting it. 
I was distracted by my upper body and my feet kept on without me. I guess the only way I can do something like this, the only way I can break into this woman's house while she's sleeping and leave a chain stretched across the floor as a kind of cipher of what I don't know and more importantly she won't either, is if my body doesn't so much obey as follow me or I it without having to consciously manage every twitch and step. I can only do it without me to some extent. In any case, I found myself in the kitchen as good a place as any to leave the chain. I pushed a chair to the center of the room. I slowly unrolled the chain and tied one end around, around a leg of the chair, and then, crawling like a baby, stretched the rest of it across the floor, pointing toward the front door, because that seemed like an ominous thing to do, suggestive of ritual and or some kind of obsessive logic that could be paranoically interpreted by whoever finds it. My knees shook as I stood up again. It's obvious that this incident in and of itself is not so bad but you can see how it reacts with my other crimes. For example, even if we agree that stealing cell phones is not exactly behavior indicative of someone irredeemably awful because lots of people are doing worse things all the time, for example, right now Obama is probably pulling someone's fingernails off or tasering a naked prisoner, breaking and, and, and we can agree that breaking and entering, while worse than ripping off cell phones, is hardly a big picture atrocity, and while it's certainly intensely creepy to light, leave chains lying around in ritualistically suggestive poses, it's also not as bad as, say, feeding a detainee on hang, hunger strike by forcing a tube up his nose and down his throat, and then while the food stuff is being drained into his body, yanking the tube from side to side until streams, tears are streaming down his gaunt, starving face. You have to admit that many bigger crimes make more sense. They fit into a legible ideological and technocratic structure, while my particular style of worsening simply makes less sense. It's harder to attribute all my actions to one identifiable person or intention, even though I did it all very much on purpose, and as such, a certain sympathetic paternalism, as in, how could my son do something like this? He's always had a big friendly smile for everyone he met, becomes inapplicable, or at least very hard to apply because I no longer seem like anyone's son. I can't blame everything on my father or my father's father. Granted, they've probably done some pretty bad things, and I'm not suggesting they deserve to be exonerated because my own dipshit misadventures have rendered me unrecognizable. I don't know exactly what they've done. My father was in Vietnam, for example, and even though he says he didn't fire a gun there, at least not at a human body, I'm sure he did some other things necessarily that might one, one might count as bad or terrible, and it's possible to count his simply being there, even if it was more or less against his will, as a terrible thing, considering that anything he did or was ordered to do was part of a larger campaign to firebomb a whole people into floating white ash while they were eating dinner or watching their children sleep or fighting back. And my grandfather flew a bomber in World War II. He blew people up, not to mention the investments that have made them each a little money. Those are probably bad. Whatever companies jumped in value and bought them retirements and paid for their children's educations have certainly been involved in some evil shit. At the very least, those companies underpaid their employees or covered up a couple of cases of thyroid cancer at their offshore factories. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sort of minor world historical crimes my father has committed, crimes which may have contributed to my all-pervasive shittiness and well-being. Even if he had simply and involuntarily perpetuated the oppressive patriarchal norms of our sexist society by, say, asking my mother to wash the dishes more often than he washed them, or even worse, acted like a total asshole and washed the dishes every night before my mother could even offer because he didn't want to be the kind of man that asked his wife to wash the dishes more often than he did and then resented her for it, I would still be terrible. It's not his fault, and it's not my mother's fault either for being a saint, because even if there's nothing worse than saints, it's nonetheless the case that anyone can be one. Everyone is given things by assholes and accepts them, and so everyone potentially manifests boundless love in their stupid, fragile human bodies, regardless of what they do. Doing is not essential to sainthood. Sure, my mother must have done some saintly things, such as having me, for example, or letting my father pay for a meal, even though she was perfectly capable of paying for herself, or smiling when she was supposed to think I said something cute. 
but those things don't count. As the inheritor of a tradition of inheriting, one has the duty to take and to hate taking, at which point the offering, quivering with hate, becomes unstable like a fist, trembling with anger that misses its target and swings through dead air. This is why I need to be generously, generously given my crime, that is, offered freedom to commit a crime or to own up to it so as to shatter my designated ownership of it so that I can hate it twice, once for being mine and once for being someone else's to give away. Lucky for me, all crime is gifted or none of it is, and I can assume that everything I've done has been bestowed on me. After all, I didn't invent anything. My crimes, like all crimes, are nothing new. I remember a neighbor girl shoving her cat in a bucket and swinging the bucket around her head. We were more impressed by the power of gravity to keep the cat safely in the bucket than we were by the cat's impassive attitude toward the game. It was probably stunned, paralyzed with fear, other people have done that. She wasn't the first to swing a cat in a bucket. She couldn't have been. I must have done it too. I don't remember not doing it. Your crimes are already there. You've already committed them. You've already repented. You've already been forgiven and then done it again, whatever it is that you've done. Only when you begin committing all the crimes in the world does it seem like no one is offering them to you. Later, it seems like each one is merely another present to unwrap and not even the kind of present that makes your heart beat faster for having received it, a present from an estranged lover who may or may not be giving you something as a sort of revenge, say, but more like a present dropped in your office mailbox by your boss, which turns out to be a gift certificate to a restaurant owned by the company you work for. So say I was driving from my apartment in Crown Heights to a friend's house in Ditmas. It's not a long trip, but just long enough to drift a little to space out and play a game with yourself in which you try to remember the kinds of things that are usually hard to remember, but occasionally just set themselves up in your thoughts, like the shape of your dad's haircut on the back of his neck or the feeling of reading. So say I was driving, but not really paying attention when I slammed on the brakes. I don't know why. I just did it out of some deep or shallow instinctive or perceptive notion or impulse. These obscure layers of the organism that order you around and force you to slam on the brakes when you weren't planning planning on it among other quasi-involuntary things. That is, the slamming was basically out of my control and yet could in no way be mistaken for anything other than something I did. I might have stopped the car, but I didn't mean to, and I certainly, certainly didn't mean to run anyone over. His legs were bent like pieces of art behind his back. There was blood everywhere, although I might be exaggerating, and I thought I saw some body parts dangling from trees. But once again, without knowing quite what I was doing, but doing it anyway, I slammed on the gas but missed the pedal and scraped the side of my ankle so that the car lurched forward and came to a rest with one wheel on some smart of the crushed up man I hit, probably just an arm. I tried again and drove away. When I pulled up to my friend's apartment building, I sat in the car for a while. My friend has a roach problem, but it's relatively under control, not nearly as bad as some of the roach-related horror stories one hears about in New York. For example, my girlfriend told me about an apartment where she used to live in which the roaches were so abundant that if you turned on the kitchen light after dark, they would be blanketing the walls. Even worse, she said, they lived in the microwave, and you can see their silhouettes crawling across the backside of the LED clock. If you shook the microwave, she said, Dozens of roaches would pour out and scurry into the walls, which, by the way, were covered with black mold, as they are in many New York apartments, some of which are so dramatically filthy that the idea of apartment hunting is overwhelming and it seems easier to just stay where you are, even if your current apartment is cramped or on an inconvenient train line, because if it doesn't have too much of a roach or mold problem or bed bugs, it seems reasonable to be grateful for what you have and plant yourself there for as long as you can, though this gratitude is frustrating because when you feel required to feel grateful, you end up hating the thing you're supposed to be grateful for. Like when you go to a party at a ritual 
old couple's enormous house and you're expected to be just bowled over by their generosity. A gratitude you would never be required to feel if you were visiting anyone who wasn't rich. And you're supposed to be impressed and thankful for the chance to bask in the aura of what their collection of objects represents. A careless flow of money that can be spent on clothes so expensive they don't need to fit, which I admittedly like, and cars with doors that open from the roof, which I think are dumb, and basically anything else that can be bought. But all you can bring yourself to feel is hate mixed with envy, which intensifies the hate and turns it against yourself, which you know what is what they want you to feel, which makes you hate them more. Until later on that night when you're lying in your cramped room, over hot and half asleep and floating in and out of another one of those violent dreams you don't want to sink completely into because you know you'll wake up tense if you do. And so you're keeping your eyes partly open, trying not to fall asleep quite yet when the sound of a woman shrieking startles you and you stick your face into the window's dirty screen and try to peer out, vaguely wondering if you should call 911, but unable to spatialize the scream. It sounds like it's coming from all directions at once, and so what can you do? You can't call the police and say, I hear a scream somewhere, and it sounds like someone is in pain. So you lay back down instead, and your head is buried in the pillow, listening intently, but trying not to listen, and you fall asleep much faster than you would expect. Anyway. I sat outside my friend's apartment and listened to the inside of the car as if I'd be able to hear something in it, something voiceless in the quiet which might speak about what happened, which might confess to its involvement in the fatal hit and run that just took a teenager's life. But of course I heard nothing, there was nothing to hear. I inspected the front of the car and rang the bell. It was always nice to see this friend. He had just gotten a new tattoo and was eager to show it off. It was on his chest a few inches above the nipple and said, in an elaborate cursive that struck me as overdoing it a little, fuck yes. I said I liked it, though I didn't know if I really did. Or if I really didn't, for that matter, because I was busy thinking about whether or not I would get a tattoo like that, which I definitely wouldn't. We opened a few beers and stood around chatting in the kitchen. I didn't see any roaches that night. In fact, I never actually saw roaches in his apartment. I only heard about them. I asked him what his girlfriend thought of his new tattoo. He said, at first she wasn't exactly thrilled with the idea, but she got used to it. But does she like it, or is she just used to it, I asked. Well, he said, it took some convincing. It's not that she was against the idea of a tattoo per se, but that this particular tattoo seemed kind of stupid to her. I explained that it's something I've wanted since I was in college, but that only proved her point. What point, I asked. I was asking needling questions because the tattoo seemed like a funny decision to me, and I wanted to understand it. Well, he said, I'm not sure, I guess, but something about the whole thing being kind of childish, I think. Do you think that all tattoo, do you think that she thinks that all tattoos are childish or that just that this tattoo is particularly childish, I asked. I guess it probably is particularly childish, but I didn't mean for it to be childish, he said. Ha ha, I said. Ha ha, he replied. Someday, I said, you'll be a dad with a fuck yes tattoo over your nipple. You'll be a dad on the beach playing in the sand with your kids and you'll have a fuck yes tattoo over your nipple. Ha ha, he said. Ha ha, I replied. Well, I think of it more of a way to mark time, he said. Do you think you've come to some sort of turning point, I asked. No, not necessarily, he said. So what kind of time are you marking, I asked. Well, it's not like all important moments in someone's life are turning points, he said. I guess so, I said. I mean, sometimes you feel like you've reached a place in your life that you feel good about, he said. Like you've come to a plateau, I asked. Ha ha. Not at all, he said. I just keep getting better. Ha ha, no. But I've come to a place I feel good about. Well, what I don't understand, I guess, I said, is how you can mark time and not have it become a turning point. What do you mean, he asked. I mean, I said, well, as soon as you mark time, even if you're not trying to mark a specific time, doesn't it become a turning point? Because you'll always look back on it and say, oh, that's when I mark that time, and then you'll measure other things, later life events or whatever, from there. I get what you mean, he said, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is what our conversations were like, because it's hard for men to relate to each other, or to anyone. <laughs> My friend offered me another beer and I took it. 
Then I realized we hadn't clinked bottles, so I extended my bottle, and he extended his, and we both said, cheers. Well, he asked, did you go to that reading by that poet that neither of us likes the other night? No, I said, I didn't go. Did you? No, he said, I didn't go either. Yeah, I said, it didn't seem like there was any reason to go except to hate it. Yeah, he said, that poet that neither of us likes is such a bad poet. Yeah, I said, I don't know why people like that writing so much since it's so bad. Yeah, he said, really bad. Well, he said, I'm looking forward to that poet who we both like a little bit's reading next week. Oh yeah, that should be good, I said. It should be okay, he said. Yeah, it'll be okay, I said. Oh, I forgot to tell you, he said. I heard something funny about that poet who we both like a little bit, but I guess I don't know if it's true. Oh, I said, tell me. Well, actually, I don't know anything, he said, but I heard that this other poet, whose work we don't know but who we've met occasionally at parties, told the poet we actually like that they know something so bad about the poet who we both like a little bit that they can never tell anyone what it is. I really want to know what it is, I said. Me too, he said. Who do you think will tell us, I asked. Well, it seems like this other poet whose work we don't know but who we've occasionally met at parties is the only person who knows, or at least that they're the, they're the only person that we know knows, and I don't know that poet well enough to ask, he said. Yeah, I said. I don't know that poet well enough either, or at all, really. I've only met that poet at parties. Me too, he said. I guess we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know, I said. Yeah, he said. We opened more beers. I leaned against the kitchen counter and absent-mindedly fiddled with the knobs on the stove, twisting them on just a little, just enough to hear a little gas hiss out and then flick the, flicking them back off. My friend noticed this but didn't say anything. I couldn't smell the gas, which mildly surprised me. I tried sniffing deeply without being obvious about it. There was a cool dampness in the air I hadn't noticed before. What's the worst place you've ever lived, he asked. You mean the worst apartment or the worst city, I asked. Oh, good point, he said. I guessed either one. Hmm, I said. Well, I haven't lived anywhere awful, but there was this one place that was pretty dirty. Dirty because you never cleaned it or just dirty, he asked. Oh, just dirty, I said. It came dirty and it stayed that way, but it really wasn't so bad. I guess I've lived in more or less decent places most of the time. What about you? Well, he said, my last apartment was very small, and there were those stains in the shower that looked like blood stains. I remember that, I said. But overall, that wasn't so bad, he said, even though it was expensive and small. But oh, there was this one place that I never lived in, he said, that was worse in a way. Me and my girlfriend at the time signed the lease and everything. We were all ready to move in, and then I freaked out because it was on the first floor, and there were no bars on the window, so we broke the lease and never moved in. Ha ha, I said, really? Yeah, really, he said. I can't handle the first floor. I have a real fear of home invasion. Ha ha, why, I said. What do you mean, why, he asked. It's horrifying. Imagine you're asleep and someone is standing over your bed watching you, and you don't even know it, I said. Exactly, he said, and you don't even know it. And the worst part is that there are basically only two things that could happen. Either per the person standing over you and watching you just punches you in the face or dumps a pot of boiling water on your bed or stabs you or otherwise inflicts permanently permanent bodily injury before you even have a chance to beg him or her not to do it, or they don't do anything. They just watch you for a while, maybe all night. They just stand there looking at you, and when you wake up, you never know what happened. In some ways, that sounds even worse. What if someone watched you every night without you even knowing it, he asked. Ha ha, I said. Once I had a mildly erotic dream about this friend, in which I sat next to him at a dinner table and covertly reached under the long tablecloth to caress his smooth and womanly legs. What if they also left something behind so that you knew someone was there, but you never knew who they were or why they broke in, I asked. Like what, he asked. Like a chain, I said. A chain, he asked. Yeah, I said, they just leave a chain somewhere in the house, so when you wake up, you find a chain. But why, but why would they do that, he asked. So that you would know they'd been there, I said. Ha ha, he said. Eventually, I left. 
By then we were lightly drunk and our conversation had devolved into the sort of minor complaints about jobs, acquaintances, finances, etc., that impose themselves on a conversation when friends have nothing left to say to each other out of exhaustion or insobriety or encroaching boredom. Hug, he asked. We hugged goodbye. I slouched to my car and drove safely home. Ten years later, my girlfriend and I were fighting about directions. I don't remember the details of the argument, what the streets were named, or even what town we were passing through. I only remember the style. She was doing that thing where she subordinates the expression of a diffusive bitterness, a feeling not unlike the sensation of heat or cold, especially intense in certain sensitive spots, but not limited to those spots alone, to the stress of a present tense banality, so that the by definition extreme triviality of the banal tableau is elevated to the level of a cause, as if the familiar everydayness of an ostensibly minor discord, for example, a wrong tone a wrong turn or an overlong silence were the source of a deep-seated, almost abdominal pride of resentment. I was doing that thing where I offer only slight nods in her direction and feign an exaggerated attentiveness to the road, adding to the empty tension piling up between us. I hid my free hand in my lap. She did the same with hers so that either of us would have had to reach across the entire front seat to grasp grasp the other's hand and sweetly knead its fingers between our own as a sort of tacit request for a mutual de-escalation of nervousness, which we both knew was just not going to happen. This was a shitty thing to do, and I knew it, and even worse, I didn't even want her to feel ignored. I just wanted her to know that I was mostly conscious of doing something shitty, and that my shittiness was an intended effect, not a residual symptom of unprocessed anger or an ill-timed absent-mindedness. I wanted her to see right through me, to know that I was feigning a flat, blank silence to make her mad at me, and not just because I was mad at myself. In fact, I wasn't even actually mad, I was just feeling mean. In turn, she was doing that thing where she acknowledges my meanness by rolling her eyes and waiting it out as if in a few minutes or at most hours I'll give up this stupid game and pretend that I was never playing it, which I will, and though it's possible that her eye rolling was also meant to inflame my anger and curl me out of silence because she knew that any response at all would probably have deflated the particular kind of sloppy male meanness I was going for, I took it to be a signal of her temporary resignation, a version of a sigh, which left me alone with my own dumb thoughts and so we both sat there silently for a long while while I scolded myself for ever having played non-responsive in the first place because it would have been comforting to talk about anything, even about my non-responsiveness and why I wield it like a weapon, what I think it's supposed to accomplish, which was not a topic that I wanted to explore in depth because that sort of reproachful self-examination when facilitated by a lover makes me feel like I'm on trial, though I've never been, and the shriveling up that I tend to do when I feel like I'm trapped in my own personal version of being on a trial is literalized on my face as a sort of old man grimace and almost involuntary neuronal pinching that some dipshit therapist might term counterproductive insofar as it serves to cut me off emotionally from my girlfriend who is, after all, only trying to learn more about me and the grammar of my happiness because she ostensibly cares and wants to help manage said happiness, though we all know what happens if you try to manage happiness, the same thing that happens if you try to manage grammar. I guess I made a wrong turn. I guess I said something I shouldn't have said. I guess I shouldn't have smiled even if I didn't want to smile. I guess my girlfriend should have just borne it patiently and silently when I decided to pretend that I wasn't listening to her. I guess she should have planned on conforming to whatever ironic mood I felt like indulging. I guess she didn't say what I wanted her to say when I expected her to know what I wanted her to say. That's what's so bad about love, I think. It's all guessing all the time. Unlike talking with a friend, talking with a lover involves persistently guessing what they'll think in response to whatever you say and comparing that to what you think you meant to say, which of course was always better than what they think you said, which was somehow mutilated in the saying and came out hurtful. A friend, on the other hand, accepts everything you say as it is, which is not to say that a friend doesn't misread you or takes things overly personally or twist your words, but only that you're not necessarily reduced to guessing how badly they're hurt or how deeply they will now resent you forever. In fact, when a friend misunderstands you, it's often as simple enough to laugh it off as a sign of intimacy, a reminder of the differences that ground your mutual appreciation and the sexual tension that sustains it. 
But everybody knows that you can't say the right thing to a lover. It will never happen. It's impossible. One meaning of love, assuming that it has any, is perpetual misprision and its intended creative hurt. And this hurt can be exploited by someone who wishes, consciously or not, to be worse, which, lucky for me, I do. Thank you. So, um, so this is sort of like a situational drama. So I'm laying around in the park reading Donato Mancini's books, Loitersack and Buffet World. Well, this is actually later in the day when I'm writing this, and I find that in writing this intro, well, I'm not really writing per se. I mean, I've taken the work and done sort of a um, numerological uh, mystic act to it, although I'm not qualified. Um, and um, wait a second, this sentence doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, okay, so actually what I'm trying to say here is that I'm confused as to why people discuss food with respect to coloration calories. This is the part where I was trying to, this is what I'm trying to extract by numerology. Um, I'm confused uh, why people discuss food with respect to coloration and calories, but not say whether foodstuffs fit into time on a sort of geological scale or a cosmic scale, um, uh, whether, as Donato points out, certain planets do or do not float or sink in diet cola. I mean, I guess some people are doing the work, and I'm, and I'm thankful for that. So, um, so here I am in the park and some children are spraying silly string at one another and this is in the middle of a weekday and I'm asking myself some of the questions Donato asks us, uh, us, us of us as a sort of litmus test of, well, what? So here's his writing, not mine. Are bananas produced using slave labor considered vegan? Is veganism an eating disorder? Are vegans a cult? Eating fast food in a crowded elevator? Is it morally, is it morally worse to murder one, a fresh newborn, or two, an accomplished senior? Are switchblades still illegal? Um, ketchup, uh, ketchup fortune? Does burning flesh smell like roast meat? There's other questions here, but I want to pause. Um, they've done away, I, I seem to recall, with analogies on various standardized tests, but that doesn't mean that we need to here. After all, if I take the quiz and I am indeed the original bass player of Weezer, does that indicate that I am within the band's history, or do I constitute its outside? This is me, not... not Certainly not Donato. Um, or do I constitute its outside, bereft of the positive model of tongue-in-cheek accumulation I long felt owed to me from being one of the original members of such a seminal group in American musical history? What I'm trying to say is that if we break down one of Donato's questions, this is his question, turkey sandwich or the concept of entropy, with a sort of gematria or numerological decoding, we get the following. Um, this is how I'll just wrap this up. So um, A being one, B being two, et cetera. Um, 181, that's turkey sandwich. Concept of entropy is 210. So when we parse it out, 181, in I.K. Friedman's The Lucky Number, page 181, I must say it sometime, replied Will, and the sooner I say it, the sooner the thing is done. If I don't break the news to you now, someone else will do it later and more abruptly. It is something terrible. The old man nodded looking the quintessence of will and self-control as he sat upright in his chair, holding its arms with his firm, powerful hands. I read in the afternoon paper that your son Harvey was shot last night at the lucky number. And on my birthday, 
this year, the South Philly Review noted for Virgo, not my sign, but my mom's, and maybe yours, a message will warn you that someone is on the warpath. Do not jump to conclusions or take chances in property, relationships, or legal affairs. Postpone signing documents and be prepared to wade through lots of red tape when dealing with bureaucracies or government agencies. Lucky number, 210. Please welcome Donato Mancini to the Poetry Project. Hi, and thank you. This is the first time I've been in New York. Uh, it's kind of an amazing way to first visit such a place. Um, I'm just going to read two poems. Uh, one you've already heard a little bit of, uh, questions, um, and then the final piece in the, the book that I just put out. Um, so this piece is uh, called Introspective Data, and it's made up mainly of questions and epigraphs um, anti-slogans and then sort of these these confusions um, when you hear a question it's they're most the questions are mostly me and you'll be able to tell when I'm not asking questions there are epigraphs so they're by other other writers um, the book the entire book in itself is a kind of really uh, convoluted um, or to use a more positive sounding word labyrinthine uh, commonplace book um, with a lot of dead ends and a lot of like traps and things. Um, and the question piece to me is like the, the kind of the resonating chamber at the center of the, of the whole thing. Um, introspective data. Remem remember to be more guarded in the beginning and more gradually to disclose what is to be clarified here. The answer is the bane of the question. What is the structure of the question? What we knew when we were you know where? Do you like beautiful poetry? What if reality gets in the way? Normalcy is pathological? Discord, variance, debts, divisions, murmurs, and sedition? Who could have written this? Who promises the food? How many definitions of humanism can you fit into a telephone booth, onto a one gigabyte hard drive? Everything is interesting, portable hole, massacre at the Philosopher's Cafe. I was so turned around I believed that wheat flour was potash and a mortar a felt hat, that the sky was a copper pan and clouds were calfskins, that the morning was evening and a cabbage stump a turnip, that soured beer was young wine and a battering ram a windmill and a hangman's noose a bridle. Which would be worse, the end of the world continuation of the world as is. Which of the following is more likely? The end of the world, the end of capitalism. Should people stop complaining? Complain better. When did despair become mainstream? How can feelings have a history? How do you know when an event is over? Lying in the sand or lying in the sand? Has science caught up with Marxism? Are you surprised? Is it a sign of something bad, or is it a bad sign? July 3rd, we breakfasted off of fried crayfish patties and indescribable coffee. While the others were busy with the loading and oiling and gassing, I heated a silver dollar and wrapped it carefully in my muffler. Then, when we were all in the car, the trailer chain examined and in order, I tossed the hot coin to our host, the scaly innkeeper. His roar of pain and rage was music to my ears. Do you have any questions about money? What austerity measures are you taking? 
How do you explain the value of $1 trillion to a six-year-old? Do you envision the globalized economy as a spider's web, microorganisms at play in a drop of saliva, plumbing, a network of highways, a crimson blob? When do you expect your current job to end? Does the bottom line evoke a guillotine, longhand division, a tan line? What is the function of the shoestring in the shoestring budget? Is the science of economics most like phrenology, astrology, Dianetics, remote viewing, divination by disembowelment. What form of privation makes you feel most virtuous? Do you deserve to be rich? When something costs an arm and a leg, must the limbs that you pay with be your own? Is the moral character of wealth its use, its possession, its accumulation, its invisible hand? How do ghosts become obese? Children, go play in the park and take care while admiring the swan swimming not to fall into the ornamental lake. Which consumer commodity best defines your generation? Pawn shop as explanatory trope? Is a user on the internet when at work? At the internet when at play? In the internet when depressed? Who in a place of amusement is really being amused? Just as people grow to resemble their electronic devices? Is the content of utopia, happiness, fulfillment, immortality, meaning, justice? Are your hopes practical, specific, or general? Do you bear traces of the effort to raise yourself? Would you marry a social climber? Does the boss have a gender? Do you feel cheated that your career might be cut short by an environmental apocalypse? Push it to the crisis or let the moment ripen? Revolutionary patience? Anyone can see that a pretty face is pretty, but how can one know how pretty it really is until its worth has been awarded a diploma? Spoiled ballot in a beauty contest? Is a half-baked idea undercooked ceramic, bread, pastry, lasagna? Did you stop paying attention after the climax or in spite of the climax? Is this sticky crap on the floor part of the spectacle? Do you have a close friend whose art you actively dislike? Dry entry funk and or white jazz. Would you have sex with a bad artist? Art positive or art negative? Aesthetic imminence or depleted uranium? I happened on a painter yesternight, the only cunning man in Christendom, for he can temper poison with his oil, that whoso looks upon the work he draws shall, with the beams that issue from his sight, suck venom to his breast and slay himself. Which is most obscene, pornography, real estate, conceptual art? Are landlords socially necessary? Is growth cancerous, arboreal, mycelian? When you think of making ends meet, is the cord twine, live wire, rope, chain? Easy as pissing your pants? Who would have led us to consider and regard the world as reasonable? Revolution is a joke, a disaster, a necessity. Would you like the dick all sandwich or the all dick sandwich? On Tuesday, May 10th, 2011, an unidentified Asian man jumped to his death from the 147th floor of Dubai's Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building, slamming into a terrace 39 floors below. 
Local reports said that the man, believed to be in his 30s, became the first to commit suicide from the 160-story building, which broke engineering and architectural records when it opened in January 2010. According to the national newspaper, the man had asked for a holiday and been denied it. In what part of your body do you feel your grief? Is there room for everyone to succeed? When you hear that someone burned a bridge, is the burnt bridge ahead or behind? Is your life going well? When you hear the word loser, who comes to mind? Is the person a loser at capitalism, in capitalism, of capitalism, to capitalism? When you call someone a prick, do you imagine an action, an encounter, a protrusion? When you suffer a pain in the ass, is the pain in the buttocks or in the rectum? When you grant a favor, do you expect a reciprocal favor, gratitude, friendship, love? Do you trust a person who wants to be liked by everyone? Can you tell it's a smile from this angle? Real accident, fake blood? Will your funeral be well attended? Why weren't you popular in high school? Is the perfect crime unpunished or undiscovered? A board of directors with jetpacks? Is it possible to design a punishment commensurate with a crime? If yes to the above, is it possible then to execute that punishment? What if they just amputated his thumbs at birth? Are you a good person? Two years later, a search party had found them hobbling along through the jungle on improvised crutches, toothless and suffering from half-healed fractures. It seems there was no calcium in the area. Chickens couldn't lay eggs. There was nothing to form the shell. Cows gave milk, but it was watery and translucent with no calcium in it. Are wages adequate compensation for life spent at work? Is human labor purchased, extracted, its own reward? Which of the following is a luxury? Leisure time, inebriants, such as alcohol and soft drugs, jewelry. Do you work harder than your friends? Is the drop in a bucket, milk from a goat's udder, rain from a leaky ceiling, coin from an almsgiver's pocket? Are you tired emotionally, mentally, or physically? How long can I live on apples and bourbon? Is foxglove edible? At what point does sleeping in become immodest? 10.30 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m. At what point does it become immoral? If it's not white guilt, what could it be? Is a coma like a long nap? Is the position that radical social change is impossible a radical position? Indifference, apathy, or accommodation? Disaffection, contempt, outrage, or resentment? Should a gob of spit include phlegm? Embrace negativity. Hope keeps you down. Wish you a deep ambivalence. Resist compulsory optimism. Would rather not. My we says no. De-described, devoked, de-featured, de-created. Don't say nothing. If you can can't, you will never. Smells like wood, like oil paint in the garret, like baby flesh paint. The baby tree is in bloom. Babies have blossomed on it from the beginning and forever. Rosy twilight, babies withering, ripening, rotting on them, on the baby tree, the rustling babies. How many times did you hear the word love today? Does the word love give solace, induce panic? Do you consult pop songs for relationship advice? Have you ever been sexually happy? Are you sexually attracted to happiness? Would you have a child with an abortionist? Are babies predominantly repulsive, adorable? 
Do you patrol the boundaries of your sexual orientation in a jeep, on a dromedary, stopping by woods on a snowy evening? When did tattoos, piercings, and funky facial hair become the new power, power suit? If the proposed minimum wage rise is less, amounts to less than half of the accepted living wage, is that irony? Can you fight off a rapist ironically? Can you revolt ironically? Have you experienced love as self-hatred? Who stuffed wet chewing tobacco into the top of my snorkel? Do you know your way around the bottom of the lake? Does your given name suit you? Have you ever pretended that you don't speak English? Would you have chosen to be born? Shuck my responsibilities for shirk my responsibilities, wholesale slaughter for wholesome slaughter, the blind elephant for the whole elephant. I urge you not to for I, bid you to, I forbid you to, personal banger for personal banker, cast in cement for set in stone, third bicycle for third policeman, fire exchange for fire escape, intersection for intercourse, Chevrolet for Beaujolais, love style for lifestyle, sadness for sardines, empathy for apathy, adopt for avoid, for for against. Library of Progress for Library of Congress. Count lucky stars for thank lucky stars. Ruletary Millers for military rulers. Prince of Peach for Prince of Peace. Settled with for saddled with. Mendicant for, mendic mendicant for medicine. Penny up for pony up. It will all wash out in the laundry for it will all come out in the wash. Surgical guts for surgical cuts. Human mirror for human microphone. Perplexion for condition. Oil witch for oil rich. Fundraiser for fundraiser, Greece for grief, NAFTA for NATO, Spaniard in the works for Spaniard in the works. Lose my temperature for lose my temper, anachronists for anarchists, ground zero for clean slate, Rockwilder for Rottweiler, city long for city wide, peasants for pedants, long for back. More thoughts poured into his mind than he wished to welcome, but they would not be repulsed. Have fat people lost control of their lives? How often do you wish your body were different? Are your friends better looking than you are? Why look tough? Is sincerity a strength or a liability? On whose terms? New master narrative as adaption, remake, reboot, clone. Can an ideology be plagiarized? Do competitive hot dog eaters race themselves, each other, or a clock? Is the biological clock wired to an alarm or an explosive? History, first draft, or final proofing? Time measured in burnt animal fats? What is your favorite 20th century invention? Can hope be disappointed? Have they thrown away the last disposable camera? The moments shortened, but not the ear. The heart in panic pants. The minute splits and swarms apart a thousand agitated ants. Are bananas produced using slave labor con considered vegan? Is veganism an eating disorder? Are vegans a cult? Eating fast food in a crowded elevator? Is it morally worse to murder a fresh newborn, an accomplished senior? Are switchblades still illegal? Glazed, glassy glass, or vile jelly? Are people with pets owners, masters, protectors? Free as a bird to fight for food, territory, or sex? Does the talking hyena indicate that it's just a story? Neoliberal werewolfism? Do you imagine your body being eaten? What brand of cologne do necro bobsledders wear? Ketchup fortune? Does burning flesh smell like roast meat? 
With third-rate meat, let's get rid of the rats of the unconditioned who have never felt the imposition of the outside which sleeps like an inside burst from the latrines of the canal where we shit death. God or phosphines, scream, cry, then puke? Between coughs, sneezes, or seizures, if you could have only one nightmare, which would it be? An insanity like flypaper? Is suicide bold, desperate, murder? Will the afterlife be more like an airport or a casino? Will the angels of heaven carry trumpets of gold, brass, chrome, or nanofiber? Is human spirit congealed blood, gas, fluid, energy? What does laughter mean from the podium in solitary confinement, on a deathbed, as sea levels rise. Can you fake laughter convincingly? Grins, bared teeth, or acemic grunts? The yeomanry had dismounted. Some were easing their horses' girth, others were adjusting their accoutrement, and some were wiping their sabers. Several mounds of human beings still remained where they had fallen, crushed down and smothered. Some were still groaning, others with staring eyes were gasping for breath, others would never breathe no more. All was silent, save for the low sounds and the occasional snorting and pawing of the steeds. Are you a victim or a survivor? What do abuser and victim share? Is the iron fist a prosthetic? Are the cops in your city middle class or lower class? Is someone whip smart, smart as a whip, trained to pain? Is torture a collaborative activity? Is it a fight if one party doesn't resist? If ownership rights don't include your genes, do they include your traumas? Still lonely? Sugary surgery? Is anything bothering you? Why did I have to see that? We must learn more of the fated, fearful process of thought which makes people feel not only justified, but that they have a duty to destroy others. What is your favorite racist joke? Would you rename Thanksgiving Day Genocide Day? Does Martin Luther King Day constitute the real killing of Martin Luther King? When you sing along with your favorite gangster rap, do you say the N-word? Is contemplative disinterest baleful, salutary? Witness to whiteness? Mayonnaise as binding agent? Have you experienced a patriotic sentiment? If yes to the above, were you in a public washroom, watching television, talking intimately with the other? Canadians will elect a First Nations Prime Minister in 25 years, in 10 years, infinity. If one or two of the above, which party will the PM belong to? Sequel to a massacre or resumption of a massacre? When something is hard to swallow is the difficulty flavor, texture, or size? Today, it is impossible to say for certain why people are punished. All concepts in which an entire process is semiotically con concentrated elude definition. Only that which has no history is definable. Are there certain words you know you don't understand? Are there certain words you think everyone else uses incorrectly? How do words become opaque? Antonymic synonym? Interrogative metonym? Pleonasms induce memory loss, tragic come abject, no pun intended, none taken, abstraction or euphemism for security purposes, gallows, galley or gall, 
disinterested to uninterested, rigged, loaded, or cocked, time measured in deaccessioned books, Wikipedia print edition, did you used to know or expect to find out? The louse on Stilitano's collar, still invisible to the other men, was not a small stray spot. It was moving. It shifted about with disturbing velocity as if crossing and measuring its domain, its space rather. But it was not only at home. On Stilitano's collar, it was the sign that he belonged to an unmistakably verminous world, despite his eau de cologne and silk shirt. How severely do panhandlers annoy you? Do your politics exempt you from giving spare change? Would you report a suspicious activity? What kind of life must one have had to use the phrase human garbage? Have you ever been chased by police through a ballet studio? Can you guess most about a person's politics by postal code, browser cache, diet, or ethnicity? Has your front door ever been kicked in? Were you at home at the time? If you have all the facts, do you need a theory? Is information knowledge? A body count without fractions? Join or die? Does truth presuppose falsehood? Would you ever use the phrase, of course? Bolts of annihilation. Am I yuppie scum? Beauty is a consensual power. Success ruins. You might also enjoy. Too busy to cook? Will have had a long day. Who eats, who starves? Rock the boat, not the cradle. Positivity is compliance, spiritualized. My nipples are dying for what happens most of the time. They're not, as long as some I've seen, my nipples form in regular space. Sweeten them, honey. My nipples are not claiming everything's the same, but they're staring at the screen, thinking of you. Does poetry affirm the world as it is, improve the world, do no work in the world, beautify capitalism, manipulate, confuse, and obfuscate? Does shame bring out the worst in narcissists? Which poet should definitely not be on a banknote? $5, $20, or $1,000? Does applause smother art? Would you like to author a cliche? Does conceptual art provoke your contempt, your hatred, your envy? What does this line separate? Is culture today a disorienting fragmentation, an oppressive unity? Can someone like an artwork for the wrong reasons? Why paint a canvas of an attacking grizzly bear? When is a staple gun better used as a weapon? Which song sums it all up? Inaccurate mirror? Time measured in diminishing royalty checks? Is it more musical to burn a munition, munitions plant or bomb a concert hall? Could a historiographer drive on his history as a muleteer drives on his mule, straightforward with all the various accounts to reconcile, anecdotes to pick up, inscriptions to make out, stories to weave in, traditions to sift, personages to call upon, panegyrics to paste up at this door, pasquinades at that? Is it quiet where you currently are? Are you seated or standing? Is there a payphone around here? Where can I plug this in? What is literature thinking about? Why is there a gray school bus parked in front of this building? Turkey sandwich or the concept of entropy? Life, total, just right, or count chocula? Who put blood puddings and sour cream in the bell of my tenor saxophone? 
Should charitable book donation bins be filled with copies of the Communist Manifesto? I'm going to have to ask, is this leading up to a question? If you didn't expect the fire department, did you expect the Spanish Inquisition? <laughs> Choose one. Louise Bourgeois, fat with integrity. Twisted sister, stay hungry. When you have lost it all, everything to be said has been said. I put my ear against the wall and listen to the slow erosion of concrete. Everybody is building shelters and vaults. And this is called indexical signature. Before me stretches to my left, bordered on each side in the distance to my right on the ground there. At the near end down come close to us. In the middle quite lately stands here on another side closer to me, right in front of but lower over the whole scene while in detail nearby behind a screen seen from behind. And to the right, opposite, after us, a foot beyond, starts at the far end, north, a distance, inside, next, at our right and our left, stretch. At first glance, the foreground is waste, next of which, on top of, to the left, nearby, right at the back, off to one side, below, set in here, this radiant place may be filth. Left, right, further on, one joins us. Look up, turn, look along the void, tourist. Until I notice already, then shift as here, pleasure again. Calm and vigilant, past the first to one side, just opposite we come finally at last, next to me, beside, faces, hands, feet, all eyes now turn, lower, down the same page, flat as beyond, set down in a circle, blinking, featureless, a ground, moves, dissolves, colorless, beneath a knot outside, faded edge, on the other end, a confluence unravels, the usual flashes in a clearing, there. Thanks. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org. 